0: Do you remember how Beethoven's Fifth Symphony begins? This is Father Rocky with our 10th Lenten Lesson on the Mass. Beethoven's Fifth begins with just four notes, but he repeats it over and over because anything worth doing is worth overdoing. The same thing happens in the confiter when we repeat just four syllables, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, which is the Latin original for through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We say that three times because important truths need to be repeated over and over again or we just don't get it. Much like a mother who shouts to her two-year-old, don't touch it, three times and each time louder as her little boy runs to touch the whistling teapot. Don't touch it. Sponsored by the
1: National Center for Padre Pio in Bartow, Pennsylvania. Celebrating the 25th anniversary of the beatification of Padre Pio with a National Relic Tour. For more information or to see if Padre Pio is coming to your area, visit PadrePio.org. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si,
2: sí, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey,
0: it's my mom. Mama.
2: And Glenn Levens. That's how I know. This is Morning Air.
3: On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's
2: Friday, February 23rd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Polycarp. Happy Friday. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverens and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you on this Friday in the first week of Lent as we get ready for another weekend and the second Sunday of Lent. Now, today is the Memorial of St. Polycarp, bishop and martyr. St. Polycarp was converted to Christianity and was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. He was also friends with St. Ignatius of Antioch and taught St. Irenaeus. St. Polycarp was a bishop in the early church and he was martyred for his faith. He died in 156 AD. Now, tomorrow is the second anniversary of the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We'll have more on the war in Ukraine from a spiritual perspective with Ukrainian Catholic priests. Father Michaelo Kuzma coming up in just a few minutes. As always, uh, every Friday we take a moment to remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, on this Friday. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines on uh, this Friday morning?
1: Well, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, having no sleepovers or being sent to bed without uh, supper or what, but new sanctions being imposed on uh, Russia by the Treasury Department. They say more than 500 new sanctions to to punish Moscow, as this weekend marks two years since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, as well as the death of Alexei Navalny in the last few days here. Uh, Sadly, I don't know how much effect those have had, but I think, John, it allows us to say we're doing something. Yeah,
2: doing something because, uh, you know, these the sanctions really haven't done a whole lot, uh, apparently, because uh, the, the Russian economy has continued to grow over the last two years. And so uh, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the other big story uh, that happened uh, um, late uh, yesterday afternoon uh, the first U.S. made unmanned spacecraft uh, to touch down on the moon
1: since 1972 made history, Glenn. That's right. The Houston-based company, Intuitive Machines, guided its Odysseus lander onto the moon on Thursday. It'll collect some data needed by NASA. NASA planning to send men and women to the moon near the moon's south pole later this decade.
2: You know, I know that you're a, you are a big fan of, uh, of space travel, uh, as was I when we were kids. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it gathers as much attention these days.
1: No, I think, you know, by the time we might send uh, men and women back to the moon, it might again, but uh, that was the thing. By the time we had the Challenger disaster, it was like space travel had become so commonplace. We were, you know, sending teachers up there, and then it's not as simple as, uh, you know, we were led to believe it was. Even, you know, watching one of my favorite movies, Apollo 13, uh, that was the the third trip to the moon, supposed to be to the moon, and uh, near disaster there, and, uh, you know, even it wasn't going to be shown live on TV at least parts of it like the, the previous two had been on the way and uh, people kind of get used to you know whatever we see a, a few times but it is quite an accomplishment to send things up there let alone people and get them back safely.
2: It is indeed um, Now you know that I am a dog lover and uh, yeah you know a, a beagle yeah. lover specifically and so uh, the uh, presidential dog commander is in the news this morning
1: yeah commander i guess is uh, has been retired finally after biting like secret service about 25 different times that's not a safe situation to have a dog doing that anywhere else he'd have been long gone you know, and uh, turns out it sounds like uh, the White House has replaced him with a cat, huh, John?
2: Yes, that's what I, I heard. He's been replaced with with a cat. In fact, the cat wakes up uh, the president every morning uh, these days. So, uh, my goodness. Yeah, we'll, we'll chat more about uh, Commander coming up uh, next hour, but uh, it's a, a perfect uh, segue into uh, today's uh, National Dog Biscuit Day, uh, Sarah. I was
0: going to say, maybe if they were getting, uh, Commander, some more of these dog biscuits, maybe it would have been so... Maybe he was just hungry. I mean, I don't want to give excuses for the dog. That's no good, you know, but uh, that's... That's crazy that that, that many times he, he probably just needed a treat. Maybe he needs some treats. Although when people are misbehaving or dogs are misbehaving, it is hard to want to pass out a treat. You know, you're like, you've been bad. You don't get a treat. But maybe that would have turned things around for poor Commander.
2: He was a bad dog. Bad dog, <laughs> Commander. Bad dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. I, I I thought about uh, this uh, National Dog Biscuit Day, this day uh, in which we're supposed to really uh, spoil our pooches. Uh, last night, I actually gave uh, Blaze a, a little doggy treat. And he's always... He gets so excited, his little tail, you know, going a mile a minute, Uh, always sits, lifts up his little paw, and uh, he enjoys his uh, uh, milk bone dog biscuits. Those are his favorite. I always tell my wife, only get him uh, the kind that has the beagle on the cover.
0: Oh, there you go. I think they could taste the difference. There's something different. about. He's probably been watching those commercials like all animals do. They sit in front of the TV, at least this is my experience of watching 101 Dalmatians. They sit in front of the TV (laughs) and their little (laughs) tail wags as they hear those commercials that are related to uh, food products that they love.
2: That is so funny that you should say that. I actually leave the TV on uh, for uh, Blaze whenever we leave so he doesn't get lonely. Uh, My wife is absolutely convinced that he doesn't care about Fox News, so uh, we (laughs) leave the, the animal Planet. for. For him. <laughs> that
0: that makes more sense. Yeah, he might. Be well, what more
1: about relevant then. radio so he could hear his master's voice? There I'm you wondering.
0: go. Oh, he, I he can bark out, Alexa, play John Morales on Morning Air. That
2: is a good idea. I'll have to. I'll have to remember that one. All right. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. Sure thing, first yeah. things first, we start every morning always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. As we uh, pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. Of course, we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in Ukraine and the Middle East, especially with this two-year anniversary tomorrow in Ukraine. We also pray for peace right here in our nation, peace in our church, and in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter what you do for a living. If you're a lawyer, doctor, a a mother, business owner, or even a, a Major League Baseball player, whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus and for His glory, you're on the right track. During this Lent, keep in mind that you can sanctify your work throughout the day, whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon in the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. As always, uh, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program here early this morning, 888 888-914-9149, 914 Now, as I mentioned, uh, tomorrow does mark two years since the start of the war in Ukraine when Russian troops poured across Ukraine's borders and Russian missiles would fill the Ukrainian skies, the biggest air and sea and ground assault in Europe since World War II. This is how CBS News reported the start of the war in February 24th of 2022.
1: This is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington, and we are coming on the air because the war in Ukraine has begun just minutes after Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a special military operation in eastern Ukraine. Explosions were heard in Kyiv. And
2: And that's uh, the way it was reported by CBS. Now, since the start of the war, Hundreds of thousands have died on both sides, and over 300,000 have been wounded, and millions of Ukrainians have been displaced. The war in Ukraine has affected people all over the world, including Ukrainians right here in the U.S. who have witnessed the pain, suffering, and the trouble that their loved ones in Ukraine have had to go through. Joining us live this morning is Father Michaelo Kuzma to discuss the two-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine and its impact on the Ukrainian people. Father Kuz. Kuzma is the pastor of Immaculate Conception Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Palatine, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, which is also the shrine of the new martyrs of Ukraine. Good morning, Father Kuzma. Thanks so much for joining us. It is a joy to be with you once again.
3: Good morning, John. It's a pleasure always to be with you and with your uh, wonderful people.
2: Father, uh, it's hard to believe that it's been uh, two years as of tomorrow since the start of the war in Ukraine. Did you ever imagine that we would be talking uh, about this and that the war would still be going on uh, two years later?
3: I had no idea, as most people, of course, our desire, our prayers. We prayed a heck of a lot at the beginning of the war. People were just filling the churches in the evenings uh various services for an end to the war. Uh, People prayed for the conversion of uh, Russia and of those who are responsible and those who are taking part in the war. We're praying for our people, our soldiers, our civilians, because as you know, many civilians have been killed. And uh, who would have guessed two years later? It's a very, very uh, sad day for me personally and for many people because as you know, there's uh, there's no end to the war as far as we can see, it, humanly speaking. It's, it's it's not a good place to be.
2: Yeah, it is, an uh, no doubt, uh, it is such a a sad, sad situation. And uh, we need to continue to to pray. Uh, we need to continue to trust that uh, it's in God's hands. It's in in. Divine Providence's hands uh, as to when this war is actually going to come to an end. You know, Father, if you remember uh, back uh, in uh, March, uh, coming up uh, uh, two years ago, uh, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, consecrated uh, Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, the Mother of God. Do you think that eventually this consecration uh, will bring peace, but in God's time?
3: I have no doubt about it, but uh, as you said, it's in God's time, but also we need to remember what we can do from our side. It's always God working with us, us working with God. Prayer and fasting, you know, Jesus spoke very clearly, certain spirits, certain evil spirits can only be cast out, can be overcome by prayer and fasting. And uh, I don't know that uh, as many people, I'm talking even about just the Ukrainian community in Ukraine and throughout the world, because Ukrainians are dispersed throughout the world, how many are continuing uh, praying and fasting to the degree they did at the beginning of the war. And, you know, you just start to get used to it. You start getting used to uh, whatever event, even what's a tragic event, like a war, you get used to it and you just, you know, let's continue living and moving on. And uh, for me, that's very, very sad, because I really believe prayer and fasting is vitally important. There's many, many times... Uh, the war in Lepanto, other places where prayer and fasting, and especially prayer on the rosary, was very, very efficacious. But it's got to be continued. It's uh, a need to storm heaven constantly. I mean, uh, we know that uh, Jesus doesn't need us to pray about a certain thing over and over. But at the same time, I have no doubt our Lady wants to help us immensely, but she's saying, Keep turning to me, keep turning to me, stay close to me. I'll keep praying for you, for your intentions. I'll pray to my son. I want to help. Uh, I need your help. We are the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and of heaven. So that consecration will have no question fruits uh, in the end, and maybe we've saved many lives. Who knows? You know, we can't see from God's perspective how many lives have been saved, maybe how many attacks. Have been forestalled, how many people's lives were saved because of the various prayers we have been sending up.
2: Father Kuzma, as a Ukrainian Catholic priest and and pastor, uh, you've been uh, closely in touch with the Ukrainians right here in this country, especially in in your parish. Uh, Do you have a sense of how the war has impacted their lives? And uh, do they still have hope that this thing is going to end soon?
3: You know, that's an interesting question, and uh, the answer, in my uh, opinion, from my perspective, is it depends on the individual. Many people, obviously, especially those who have family in Ukraine, uh, live through various degrees of worry, anxiety, uh, concern, fear, uh, for many reasons. Not only because they have family members there. You know, people start asking themselves, is this war ever going to end? The hopes had been that it would have ended possibly last year. Uh, People read, many of the people read and spend a lot of time, in my estimation, on the Internet. You know, reading the latest, what's happening, what's happening here, what's happening here. And um, for many people who are spending a lot of time, I think that they're having a more difficult time I really believe they're harming themselves from a psychological, spiritual point of view because they're just being inundated, wanting to know what's the latest, what's the latest, what's the latest. Uh, People, I believe, who have, let's say, stronger faith uh, are doing better psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, I also believe that people who um, have learned to surrender their problems, I don't know if you've ever heard of Father Dolindo Rotolo, as we learn to truly surrender our problems to the Lord, those we cannot fix. We do what we can. We send uh, monetary support. We send uh, bandages. We send all kinds of tourniquets, other things that can help the war cause. But if we can learn only, Lord, I can't fix this. What I can do, I will do the rest. I surrender to you. And as we develop that gift of surrender, It becomes a heck of a lot easier, not only dealing with this war effort, with the various problems that all of us have throughout the course of our lives. So that impacts very much the individuals uh, in my parish, as I know them, those who have spoken to me, with regards to where they are uh, from an emotional, again, psychological, spiritual point of view.
2: I want to bring in our listeners? If you have any thoughts or questions on the two-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine and its effect on uh, the Ukrainian people, we're taking your calls for Father Michaelo Kuzma, the pastor of Immaculate Conception Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Palatine, Illinois, at triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one 9. Father, when you see these images of the devastation that is going on uh, and has gone on for the last two years in Ukraine and uh, just uh, the horrors of war, how do you speak to your flock? Uh, How do you comfort your your flock? What do you you tell them uh, about uh, the the impact of, of this war?
3: What comforts them the most is community. Many of those who come over, by the way, just uh, about 75% of those who've come over in the last two years, and it's usually women with children, because the men obviously are staying to fight the war. You can't uh, leave the country if you're under 65, from 18 to 65, I believe. So many of those who come over, uh, 75% are hoping and wishing and planning to return home, because they have homes there, they have cars, they have jobs, they have community, they have friends. Uh, that's percentage of the population, what we can help them with, especially, is community. When they get together amongst themselves, because they understand one another, how can I, who was born here, even though I'm Ukrainian, how can I possibly understand them, who've left everything to come here? They come here to a country that, first of all, they speak a foreign language. The way we do things is quite different here, our culture and the way we do things. uh, Many of them will say, for example, uh, one of the things they love about America is that we follow the laws perhaps <laughs> more closely than they would in Ukraine and in other parts of Eastern Europe and throughout the world. But community getting together, speaking, sharing, partaking um, of even uh, something as simple as, you know, Ukrainian parishes, we make pitot head pierogies. We sell them both to Britishers and the public various times of the year. So when they come together, and they can just spend time together. They can speak to one another, listen to one another. That helps a heck of a lot. How to dispel uh, the terrible uh, scenes they've seen. Uh, I don't know. Those things usually are imprinted. And that's why I, I particularly counsel people. Do you really need every day to listen to what happened today? How many people were killed today? You know, what good does it do you? Perhaps you can spend just a little bit more time today praying for your family, praying for an end to the war, praying for leadership, uh, praying for Mr. Putin and, uh, and those who need conversion, who really believe that they're doing, it seems to be, the right thing. Uh, how can you possibly help? Without prayer, I don't know. Being there for, for one another is, though, very, very important. Letting them know we care for you we're trying to understand you although we can't fully uh you are important to us you're part of this parish community know that Uh, give me a call uh if i can be of any service various people in the parish who are constantly raising funds and sending uh gifts monetary gifts especially uh over to ukraine
2: And um, let's talk a little bit uh, about the Ukrainian Catholic uh, Church. According to the bishops, uh, last fall, uh, they say that the the Catholic Church in Ukraine is actually going to face extermination if the Russian invasion is successful. Uh, Your thoughts, Father?
3: Well, there's no doubt. You know, this is the historical pattern. Uh, For the Russians to be successful, let's say they, I don't know that this will ever happen, but if they somehow could take over Ukraine, one of our worst enemies uh, is going to be the Catholic Church. Ukraine be Catholic Church because it stands with its people. It is a Catholic Church. Uh, it has the support of Catholics throughout the world. And uh, it's the enemy. We've got to get rid of it. The Russians want to get rid of not only the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Churches. They cannot control uh, Jewish uh, synagogues and so forth, and the Muslims of various religions that they cannot control, they're going to exterminate if they have a chance to do so. That's that's their aim, that's their goal, and that's their need.
2: Father, a, a final minute or so, uh, your thoughts from a spiritual perspective uh, on this war, and also if you can lead us uh, in a prayer.
3: Spiritual perspective, you know, the saints have told us, Father Pugh has told us, you know, war is always, a punishment from god for mankind's sins there's a lot of sin in the world as you know not only in russia in ukraine in the united states there's not a country we murder god's children uh we are we are getting involved in all kinds of uh even blessings in the catholic church for those who live same-sex marriages there's all kinds of things going on that are not pleasing to god uh, let us just say prayer lord jesus christ stumbled the living god pre-intercession of Mary, your most holy mother, our mother. We pray, we beg you, please help for this war to end. We ask you to protect all the soldiers, even on both sides. We ask you to protect the civilians, the children, uh, the families that are being destroyed and separated. We ask you to bless, oh Lord, all those who are seeking to find ways to resolve these problems. Lord Jesus Christ, bless the Ukraine, may truly a day come in the near future when the war will end. We ask for the intercession again of Mary, all the angels and saints, for the intercession of St. Michael, who is patron of T.U. with the Catholic of Ukraine. Uh, amen.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Father Michaelo uh, Kuzma, the pastor of Immaculate Conception Ukrainian Catholic Church in suburban Chicago. We need to take uh, a short break.
0: Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air.
2: And welcome back to Morning Air. We are going to talk about money here in a moment. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You can always send us an email directly. If you have anything on your mind, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and the latest on inflation and interest rates. AI has been infiltrating uh, several businesses and industries, including the markets. Uh, This morning, our next guest will share how generative AI has captured investors' attention lately. Yes, this is an exciting technology, and it's still to be determined exactly its impact and its performance on many stocks. Joining us from Plymouth, Michigan, is Brandon Scheitler, the Senior Vice President and Chief Investment Officer of Ave Maria Mutual Funds. Brandon is the lead portfolio manager of the Ave Maria Rising Dividend Fund, as well as the Ave Maria Bond Fund. Good morning, Brandon. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again.
4: Good morning, John. It's good to be on the show again.
2: Well, Brandon, let's uh, let's talk about uh, how uh, generative AI has been capturing uh, investors' attention lately. I understand this is really hot this year here in twenty twenty
4: four. You know, you, yeah, it is. It, it was it was big last year, and it's it's really grabbed uh, the attention of everybody this year so far. And uh, as you mentioned before, uh, it's yet to be seen exactly the use case for uh, for generative AI. You have uh, ChatGPT, Uh, which is out there right now and uh, you know Microsoft and Apple are are working on their own applications and they're really the large purchaser of these these chips that are able to process uh, you know this heavy workload and there's one company in particular uh, NVIDIA is the maker of these these chips that go into large data centers that power uh, you know the backbone of AI and that that stock has done tremendously well. It was up a couple hundred percent last year, and oh boy, I think it's up almost 100 uh, percent this year. Uh, they just reported earnings and, and really blew the doors off. So it's, uh, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out, but uh, the investors are excited, and you know, real companies spending real money on this are, are behind it as well. Do you think
2: that uh, uh, investors are seeing the potential impact of AI uh, from a uh, investing, you know, in stocks perspective?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you look back, you know, whenever you have a disruptive technology, it, it typically, uh, you know, the byproduct of it is increased efficiency. Um, you can go back to like, the first wave of the internet. Um, just looking at it from the perspective uh, from my seat, you know, if you wanted an annual report from a company, you would call them up, they'd mail it to you, and you know, a week or two later y- you had it in front of you. Now I can go online uh, on the company's website and pull up you know, every financial document that they've, that they've had for the last 30 years. So th- there's efficiencies to it. Um, you-, you also saw that with uh, manufacturing um, there's there's been a tremendous amount of automation uh, that was kind of a second wave and this seems kind of a, a third wave um, and it's more targeted uh, towards a, you know a lot of white collar uh, jobs it seems to be a, this this might be the area where you even get more uh, efficiencies you know you can use chat uh, gpt you know if you're want to write a, you know, a quick email if you want to drop somebody an email you go over and edit it and then you can send it out that way so it's It's interesting how this is all going to work out, and uh, there's still a lot of apps, and I'm sure there's going to be new companies born out of this uh, as as time goes on.
2: So really, time will tell. We really don't know exactly what that impact is going to be like, uh, you know, going forward. We, we've we seen the excitement last year and then again here at the start of this year, but uh, uh, to be determined here in, in 2024 uh, exactly uh, how uh, it affects in, in investors, uh, but definitely it's something to keep an eye on. The other thing that we've been keeping an eye on has been inflation, which we've been talking about for some time. Uh, it is still a nagging issue across our country. Uh, your, your thoughts uh, on inflation that we're still seeing and in some of the reasons
4: yeah inflation as you know is really taking a bite out a lot of people's paychecks and it continues to be a real thorn in the side Um, we're still north of three percent readings on inflation you have the federal government running persistent budget deficits to the tune of roughly you know seven percent of gdp or north of a trillion dollars a year you know it's additional dollars that are that are being pumped into the economy uh you have more job openings than people unemployed by the tune of nine million. So we're a little understaffed. So companies are paying up to, to get, you know, particular talents in, in, in positions. You know, a big part of the federal budget's indexed to inflation. So uh, you know, it kind of ties, goes hand in glove with the, with the budget deficits. So as, as inflation increases, the budget deficit increases as well. And then, you know, onshoring has been a has been a common theme really since uh, you know post-COVID when you had a lot of supply chain snafus. So a lot of companies are are bringing home you know, a lot of the uh, the manufacturing processes, so things don't get snarled up in in, in ports or if various countries shut down. A, a lot of that uh, manufacturing is is being brought back home. It's that really increases. hard. To,
2: it's hard to to believe that here we are. You know, going on. You know, four years uh, since <laughs> the pandemic, and we're still dealing with uh, the re- reverberations of uh, the effect of the pandemic.
4: They're really incredible, isn't it, John? Yeah, they we're still, still ironing out supply chain issues from four years ago, but it, they they seem to be mostly behind us. But yeah, there's there's various hotspots still. Yeah. What about uh, environmental policies?
2: How is that affecting uh, this inflation?
4: Yeah, I mean that puts a, a higher, you know, a bigger increase on energy, um, and then you know, obviously the cost of doing business. If you're in, in you know heavier industries where you're refining, etc., uh, where you're really starting to see it uh, isn't food. I mean, food inflation has been crazy. Uh, it's just in the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning that. Uh, the, you know the price of food is up twenty five percent since twenty twenty and, uh, and typically when food goes up in price it typically doesn 't go back down they call it sticky sticky inflation so uh Yeah, really. That is crazy. Twenty five percent.
2: My goodness. uh, Since twenty twenty, you got to believe that uh, uh, these economic issues are going to uh, be a a big factor in uh, this presidential election year.
4: Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean the food, the food is a big one because that consumes a lot of people's spending. In fact, it's. But the highest it's been in uh, 30 years, it's roughly uh, 11.5% of the average American spends money on food. So with that increasing as much, yeah, it really hurts. What about
2: housing? I got to believe that that one has also gone up a lot uh, since uh, the beginning of the pandemic.
4: Yeah, it certainly had a had quite a jump. Uh, you know, as, as folks were, were staying home and, and increasing the, the size of their homes for, you know, home offices and just the extra space because they, they were locked in. And you had really, really, really low in, uh, interest rates at that time, too. So it enabled a lot of people to, uh, you know, to upsize uh, the home that they're living in. And then currently interest rates have been up higher and it's really locked a lot of people in their homes. You know, they're, why would I move when I have a 3 4%, you know, 30-year mortgage? And if I do move, it's, a you know, a 6%, 7%, 8% Thirty-year mortgage, and that, you know, the, the, the payment on that would, would increase uh, tremendously. So, it was, uh, it's been real uh, supply-constricted uh, on the housing. So, yeah, the the prices have stayed elevated, uh, along with uh, with higher interest rates here.
2: Well, Brandon, let's talk a little bit more about the the Federal Reserve and interest rates. Uh, at the beginning of the year, there was a, a lot of speculation that investors were uh, expecting interest rates to actually be cut. What has actually happened here through the first two months?
4: Yeah, yeah. St- starting uh, well, it was in December after uh, the, the Fed meeting late last year. Uh, the Federal Reserve came out and uh, really forecasting three cuts. in in the latter part of 2024 if inflation got within their target range which is two percent we're north of three percent so they're not quite there but uh, the market had a different idea different thoughts on what inflation what the fed was going to do they were pricing in roughly uh, six cuts but that quickly turned about when uh, inflation read higher and he had really strong uh, employment number as well so uh the the market's more in consensus with the Fed, with uh, with three cuts at the latter part of this year. Uh, that it, if we continue having you know three three and a half percent inflation and, and, and strong uh, employment numbers, uh, the Fed really doesn't need to cut. Uh, if they do cut, it certainly would spur economic activity, and perhaps inflation will will rear back up again. And it really hasn't even been tamed yet, so. They're, they're in a unique position are you uh, feeling optimistic uh, as we go
2: forward here in 2024
4: in yeah there's a lot to be optimi- optimistic about employment rates very low uh, productivity is you know picking up and uh, uh corporate earnings are are uh, forecasted to come in you know 11 12 this year so uh, all told it looks like it could be a pretty decent year and you know if you get some companies that can make use of uh, ai um You know, I I would assume that would be an additional tailwind uh, to this economy here.
2: Brandon, where can our listeners uh, go to learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds?
4: Yes, uh, you can visit our website, AveMariaFunds.com, or if you'd like to speak uh, in person, we have a toll-free number. It's 866-AVE-MARIA.
2: Sounds good. As always, uh, really appreciate you being with us, Brandon. Thanks, John. Thanks again. Brendan Scheitler, the Senior Vice President and Chief Investment Officer of Ave Maria Mutual Funds. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Levern. So stay with us. There's much more to come on Morning Air after this. Welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the gospel, the book eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance.
1: Our gospel reading for the second Sunday of Lent comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Let's dig deeper now into the gospel reading for the second Sunday in Lent from Mark 9, verses 2 through 10. Joining us, as always, from Reno, Nevada, it's Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. Bishop Muggenberg, thanks for joining us.
0: Good to be here, Glenn.
1: Well, we climb up the mountain this week, uh, along with a couple of Jesus' closest friends, uh, for an interaction of an amazing kind with the Transfiguration.
0: Every year on our second Sunday of Lent, we have this beautiful passage of our Lord being transfigured on the mountain, and it gives the disciples an insight into who he is, and it also encourages them in their faith, because they will climb another mountain with Jesus, and that is the Mount of Calvary, and at that moment, their faith will be challenged, and they will be troubled, and they will have difficulty recognizing the presence of God in Jesus as he dies on the cross. And so this moment is really meant to encourage them and sustain them and help them persevere through that scandal of the cross.
1: It builds us up to read this story. It certainly must have built up and amazed the uh, disciples that were with him on the mountain as well. But for the, the humanness in Jesus, was it there to, to bolster him a little bit to kind of get a, a pep talk from Moses and Elijah?
0: this was a moment of revelation for Jesus. Namely, it was an opportunity for Jesus to let his disciples experience the glory that he always has with the Father. And so this moment, um, it doesn't appear to be so much something that's encouraging Jesus as it is really for the disciples who will face the challenge of following him. And unfortunately, many of them will falter in following him, especially during his passion and crucifixion. Um, Now, our Lord wants the disciples to understand who he is in the context of the Old Testament, and that's Moses and Elijah who represent the law and the prophets. And our Lord also wants the disciples to understand that he is uh, unique in that relationship because he alone is the only son of God, He's not just a prophet, and he's certainly not just a rabbi, but he alone is the Son of God incarnate. And the disciples will have to come to grasp that so that they will be able to follow and trust our Lord even when they face the worst possible circumstances.
1: Mr. Muggenberg, as we read and study this passage, we might contemplate the specific meaning of, of having Moses and Elijah there.
0: There are a lot of different interpretations among biblical scholars for why Elijah and Moses are present. Um, Certainly, you know, as I mentioned, Elijah kind of represents the prophets and Moses represents the law. And those, of course, were the two fundamental writings of the Old Testament, uh, which would have been the scriptures of Jesus' time. And so Moses and Elijah in conversation with Jesus can represent that the gospel is not in contradiction to the Law and the Prophets, but that the gospel is really a a continuation of the Law and the Prophets and part of God's ongoing revelation. They also represent figures who really suffered for their fidelity to God's Word. I mean, certainly Moses faced tremendous challenges because of his fidelity to God's Word as he led the people uh, during very rebellious times in the desert through the Exodus. And Elijah, Because of his fidelity to God's word, his very life was being pursued by the king. And uh, he was on the run because he was a prophet, authentic to his calling. And so they represent people who were faithful and yet suffered because of that. And we need to remember that, you know, oftentimes in the time of Jesus, the perception was that if you're a faithful person, God will bless you with an easy life. And that's just not true. And these figures remind us that oftentimes being faithful means embracing sacrifice as an essential part of that fidelity. Moses and Elijah also represent people who, although they did face great challenges, they were saved, uh, saved from utter destruction. Uh, Elijah, if you remember at the end of his ministry was taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot and um, the um the uh, Jewish scriptures indicate that Elijah will come again to prepare the way of the Lord and certainly now Jesus is in conversation with Elijah as Jesus himself prepares for his own um you know moment on the cross and Moses is the one who led the people through the new ex- or through the exodus experience to a new life in a promised land And Jesus is going to prepare for his exodus through his death and resurrection in which he will lead us to the eternal life of heaven. And so, in many ways, you know, these two figures are the perfect figures to help us understand um, how Jesus fulfills their ministries of the Old Testament.
1: We also note uh, the place this happened, on a mountain, our Lord appearing in a cloud, our Heavenly Father, and that was the way that uh, humans at the time perceived people would interact with a
0: god mountains were very privileged places for sacred encounters and so oftentimes shrines were built on mountaintops and and that was true even within some pagan religions of the uh, greek and roman empires to go to a mountain was a place of encounter Um, Today, we go to different places of encounter. We go to the sacred space of a church. Uh, We go to the divine liturgy of the Mass uh, for our primary encounter with the Lord. Maybe we go to a um, sacred space of, of a prayer area or something like that. But other places of privileged encounter with God include works of charity with the poor the marginalized, or the estranged, or the vulnerable, whoever it may be. Anytime that we meet the Lord on the Lord's terms, we are always opening ourselves more readily to that divine encounter. And so um, we have our own places today, and we should seek those out, because God wants us to know where it is that we can meet Him more immediately and more readily.
1: Jesus' followers that were with him on the mountain included Peter, James, and John. Peter, known as a man of action, a lot of action, and not as much patience. Uh, <laughs> instead of maybe listening at this very important and first time anybody had seen anything like that moment, wanted to get uh, get busy and start uh, putting up tents.
0: I think this is um, one, of the, one of the greatest representations of Peter, to be honest. Oftentimes, Peter is called the spokesperson in the Gospels because he's the one who speaks up. Um, and what we see Peter doing in this passage is he's doing a lot of talking. And um, it's because Peter is rushing to interpret this moment, or actually force his interpretation of this moment on it, um, that Peter makes some fundamental mistakes. And um, one of those mistakes, of course, is that Peter refers to Jesus as rabbi. Well, Jesus is revealing himself as much more than rabbi. He's revealing his divine presence to them, but Peter's not getting that. And so, Um, Peter, you know, thinks that this moment of glory is actually the fulfillment of of why Peter is following Jesus. And so Peter wants to freeze this moment, and he's doing it by all this talking. He's not allowing the Holy Spirit to um, lead him into a deeper revelation. Rather, Peter is jumping to conclusions. And so Peter doing all this talking has to be interrupted and silenced by God the Father. So that peter will learn to receive uh, his understanding of this moment from the holy spirit rather than force his own understanding of this moment on it and so peter uh, you know again is silenced as the father says this is my beloved son listen to him and so the proper response is not to talk the proper response is to listen and to seek understanding, and to pray for insight, uh, rather than jumping to our own conclusions and presuming that our conclusions are always correct.
1: No, poor Peter getting corrected by God the Father himself there. But he he, he meant well. He wanted to do kind things and in uh, his mind that would be good. But uh, yes, to, to very much to, to listen. Another great reflection. Always appreciate the insight, Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing.
0: The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God who speaks to us, through his divine son, Jesus Christ, always fill us with a desire to seek the Lord's word, guiding us in our lives every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn's Story Corner.
1: Our story today is called Forgiven and Adopted by Peter Kennedy. The novelist A.J. Cronin tells a story from his own experience as a doctor that catches the wonder of the gift of grace. Cronin was a friend of the Adams family who lived in the Connecticut suburbs. At the close of the Second World War, Mr. and Mrs. Adams decided to open their home to a little refugee boy from Italy with the outlandish name of Paul Pio Strastenelski. The Adamses had two daughters and a six-year-old son named Sammy. Sammy and Paul became inseparable friends little Paul was a difficult child, often disobeyed Mr. and Mrs. Adams. One day, little Paul went swimming in some contaminated water. He became very ill, with a high fever. The doctor suggested that he sleep in an attic bedroom. But little Sammy missed his friend Paul so much, one night he crept up the attic stairs and into bed with Paul. Paul's contagious breath fell on Sammy's neck all night. In the morning, Sammy, never a strong child, became deathly ill. Paul recovered his health, but Sammy died within three days. It was a terrible tragedy for the Adams family. A year later, Dr. Cronin decided to pay a call on the Adams family, but as he pulled into their driveway, he was amazed and then angry as he saw Paul, the refugee boy, working in the garden with Mr. Adams. He got out of his car and angrily approached Mr. Adams. What's this Paul P.O. whatever his name is doing here after what he did to your family? Mr. Adams looked at the doctor and then said quietly, Dr. Cronin, you won't have any more trouble with Paul's name. You see, he's Paul Adams now we've adopted him. God has more than forgiven us, he's adopted us. Today in prayer, thank the Lord that his forgiveness is greater than any sin in our life. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will.
2: As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. I really appreciated another inspirational story corner. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Era, Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us to discuss the recent Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are protected by wrongful death law. And in fact, uh, we will uh, break it down and give you the Catholic perspective on this uh, very controversial ruling that, in fact, the Washington uh, Post is calling uh, a theocracy. It's quite uh, amazing. Plus, a digital media priest, uh, Father David Michael Moses, a parochial vicar of Christ the Good Shepherd Catholic Church in the Houston area. He'll be with us to talk about how marriage is like a car ride. So buckle up, folks. Uh, stay with us. There is much more to come on uh, this Friday in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new relevant radio app.